Welcome back to another week of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers, the shakers, the film and TV makers, the producers, the directors, the writers, the actors, the cinematographers, production designers, costume designers, composers, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, unit VFX folks. We got a good VFX interview coming up for you uh, in the coming weeks. So we talked to them all, as you well know. And we're doing a lot of talking today. For those of you that tuned in last week, yes, it was a pre-record. Um, but I'm here live, in, if you're watching, on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook uh, live page. I am here in studio and already on the line, we're going to bring him on here in just a second, is a very, very special guest uh, who I'm so thrilled to have back with us, Simon Phillips. And then later on in the show, you're going to hear my exclusive interview with the wonderful Rick Roman Waugh talking about his new film, Kandahar, that comes out this Friday. And boy, oh boy, are you going to love this third outing with Rick and Gerard Butler. But right now, without any further ado, I am beyond thrilled to have the fabulous Simon Phillips with us. Hi, Simon. Hi, Debbie. How's it going? It's going. I am so glad to have you back on the show. This is I so exciting. I loved being back. Thank you for having me again, troubling you. I will, I will have you anytime, but I know part of the problem with getting you is you are always working. You are. <laughs> Every... Well, that, that, that's not a bad thing, Debbie. That's no. a good thing. That's, that's... what we want. Well, and the thing is, what you're working on, you have so many diverse projects going. I know the last time you were on, we, we talked about Stealing Chaplin and a few things that you had coming up, um, including, you know, Survive the Game and that incredible, incredible scene you got to play with Bruce Willis. Um, still, I've been very, very lucky is what you're trying to say. I'll tell you, you're doing something right, Simon, because you are, have been playing opposite some of the biggest names in film, especially in these action films. Um, you know, you survived the game. Then you did Fortress again with Bruce Willis. Then you did had this little uncredited role, Dr. Reyes, in Panama with Mel Gibson. And then, then you're in End of Loyalty, which we're going to talk about that film because I am so in love with that film, Simon. Um, and you're, <laughs> you like that one? I love that one. And you're playing opposite Vernon Wells and Michael Prey. Uh, and now, what do you do? You help kick off Arnold. We just need to say Arnold because we all know who Arnold is. Arnold's there's only new, one Arnold, right? There's only one. But you help kick off his new series on Netflix, FUBAR. I got to tell you, I was FUBARed with laughter. Uh, it's good, right? Oh my! I I, I I watched all eight episodes. They sent me. Oh, you did? Yes. <laughs> and I binged it all at one time. So good. It was just under eight hours because it's an eight episode uh, series, and I really hope they bring back uh, a season two for it. 
But you are in the first episode and really helped get this <laughs> this series started. Uh, right. I, I got to tell you, you were just so fabulous. Uh, <laughs> Thank ver- you. Very cloak and dagger, dealing in, may- wheeling and dealing with Arnold's character, who is an, he's undercover CIA. You don't know this. <laughs> Uh, but that is the whole the premise of this whole series is he, his daughter, and his very small elite team. Right. And the great thing about this series is that number one, there's a lot of action. There's also a lot of humor. And a lot of it plays on Arnold's well-known characters over his career. Little things get brought in. But then the whole idea of dad and daughter both being in the CIA and being on the same team. And you get into the, the, oh my God, yes, you get into the further episodes and she's like, dad, I'm a qualified agent. I can do this. No, no, but you're my baby girl. And it, <laughs> it, it sets up for some really dramatic moments, which surprised <laughs> me. But it, it was fun. No, go ahead, Simon. I mean, it's like, how far did you, how much of this project did you get to see? Did they just? Oh, I've seen the, I, I've seen the whole thing. Yes, they were very kind. Those good people at Netflix were very kind to give me <gasps> to load it onto. I didn't even know that this is how they did it, by the way. But they just loaded it onto my Netflix. Yes, your preview like, content, epic. your preview content row. That's right. Yeah, and I I never had that before, so I didn't know. I, I didn't know that that's how they shared it. So I thought they would just send me a link or something and I'd watch it. And I was like, oh, they did like this? And they're like, yeah, that's how they do it. And I was like, oh, that's great. Isn't it? And I thought I was only getting the first episode. I didn't know they had everything already done. And needless to say, when I go to look at, at the first episode, and then it goes, oh, next episode up in 10, 15 seconds. And I'm like, okay. So well, yeah, well you're definitely you're definitely watching that if it's available, right? <laughs> that you're darn right because once you start watching this show, you cannot stop. And yeah. you're a big part of that because you really that opening sequence, the first 10-15 minutes of episode 1, that rapport and that dynamic that you and Arnold has really sets the tone for the rest of the series. Oh, I think so. Yeah, and it was such a... I mean, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger's first ever TV show. I know. So, I, you know, can you imagine how excited I was? I was like, so let me get this straight. <laughs> I'm in the first episode of his first ever TV show, and, as I, and I'm the first guy he sits down and talks with. Like, I'm literally welcoming Arnold Schwarzenegger to the world of TV. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Greatness. I was so thrilled. When, number one, when I found out you were going to be in the series, because I've had my eye on that series for a while, and Arnold is so good at, at keeping everybody up with what's going on in his world on every level. And I get his newsletter emails and all of that. Um, and then when I saw that you were actually, I'm like, oh, my God. It was more, it was more important to, that I see you than Tom Arnold, who also shows up in episode five. I love Tom Arnold as well. <laughs> I think he's hilarious. He, I was in stitches. I was in stitches. But I have to say, it was you and Arnold that really set the tone of what we would be able to expect from Arnold's yes. character of Luke Brunner 
and his many aliases that he uses for whatever undercover op he's doing. Um, but that really told us who he is and the kind of people that he's going to be <clears throat> meeting up with in the coming episodes, shall we say? That, that's right. I think it's definitely... It's, it's also got a massive nod. I'm sure you've seen the movie, the True Lies movie. Yes. Just... I mean, impossible not to... And that's why... I love, I do actually, like, I would watch this show myself. I mean, not just because I'm in it, obviously, but um, but but I, I would sit and watch this show just because it had such elevated comedy on it, and I really like that bit of it. Well, and you also, I'm curious for you, Simon, when, how, when this script came to you did, were you, did you think you were dreaming? I mean, after yeah. all, I mean, you've worked with Mel, you've worked with Bruce multiple times. You know, now you got the other part of that big triumvirate. Now you got a script, Arnold. What did I know. what did you think when that came, rolled your way? I, well, it's just like one of those things where you're like, no, this can't be. You know, like so, I couldn't be this lucky, could I? <laughs> you know, sort of thing to be able to get all of these guys. Like, I'm telling you, Debbie, if I if somebody just finds me Sylvester Stallone, I'll have completed the '80s icon set. Okay, well then, be on the lookout um, for Stallone because he's now teamed up with Rick Waugh, director Rick Waugh, and Rick is going to be directing, they're going to be rebooting and doing a, like a Cliffhanger 2 sequel. That's right. I, I, heard, I heard that. And so, so, so I need to, somebody, somebody needs to make that happen. And it's going to be, and I just, I just interviewed Rick the other week. I've known Rick for 40 years. Um, and he told me, he goes, it's going to be happening fast. That's like getting a fast start that's going to be happening this year. Um, yes, I mean, he's, he's, Rick is amazing because he's, um, he's the guy, he did um, the Jared Butler thing, didn't he? The uh, yep. Angel Has Fallen. And, uh, Greenland. Did, um, in fact, sorry, hasn't he got that new one coming up, Kalidar? Kandahar Kalidar. opens on Friday. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And, I mean, he's an F. He's an epic director, Debbie. Listen, now I've just realized that the power is in your hand to connect me to Rick to put me next to Stallone. I need, I need you to make it all happen. I can connect you with Rick. <laughs> and, then, and then I've completed the whole set. You, That's don't under, you don't understand how important this is to me, Debbie. No, trust me, I know how important this is. I mean, um, Yeah. No, because, and the funny thing is, is because Rick's brother, Scotty, Scotty just, he just finished up directing last year, Expendables 4. Oh, so, nuts. so, oh, wow. Really, Jesus, well, that is. But yeah, I've, no, that is, I've known, that is epic. Yeah, I mean, I've known the Waz for 40 years. I met Rick, oh, wow. Rick and Scotty when they were learning stunts with their dad, wow. Fred, who was one of the preeminent stuntmen. In the '60s and '70s and '80s. Um, oh, wow! So okay, well then, then you, then De Debbie, this is this is your like, <laughs> you know, sort of you you could make all these dreams come true. <laughs> the that power is, is in your hands. That is Just my mission it. to hook you and Rick up. That is my mission. That, that's the mission, and then and then when you come back, when I come back in a year's time, and we've made that happen, you'll be like. I, I'll, I'll owe it all to Debbie. I'll be like, right. I was like, I can't, you know, you get all the exclusive interviews then. On every, you get all the early access to everything. Oh. I was like, yeah, Debbie made it happen. So, so I can't do anything outside of that. 
Well, I have to tell you that, and it's like after you and I today, at the end of my show today, uh, I'm going to actually air my interview with Rick talking about Kandahar. Yeah. Um, so today is like my action, my fun, action-filled day. Oh, good. Well, good, good, good. Because I was looking, I was spying on your uh, your post the other day, and I, I heard that you were... Um, you were also having a big. Uh, uh, you were excited about submarine action movies, and I, I, I had something to tell you. I was like, ah, I wait to get on this well, on the phone to you because Simon just wrapped on a submarine well, movie as well. Well, do tell, do tell. Well, it's called What Lurks Beneath, and it's set sort of like in a fictitious, almost World War Three setup. But we find a stowaway on board, and that stowaway happens to be a mermaid. So. It's very exciting. You uh, you find the mermaid? I don't find the mermaid, but I'm on the oh. submarine as a British intelligence officer, and I, I know what she is when I see her. Okay, well, now this, you have now piqued my curiosity, not so much for finding a mermaid on a submarine, um, yeah. but you as a British intelligence officer, because we have been so used to seeing you as quote-unquote the bad guy on a lot of things of late or what? you know the little the little shystery guy you know like a brother who helps steal you know the, the corpse <laughs> steal Charlie Chaplin's steals, dead body. yes steals a corpse of Chaplin but then you know you're you know kind of the fumbling not so good nice henchman survive the game you're you know you come up you're a driver not the smartest bulb in the box, end of loyalty, here again. You know, comedy, not the brightest bulb in the box, henchman. Uh, <laughs> so we get all of, the, all of this. Fubar. Um, so the fact that you get to be a British CIA intelligence agent, my goodness, Simon. I know. For once, I'm not... For once, I'm not the worst thing in the movie. Like the, the most evil thing in the movie. Yes, let's let's phrase it that way. The most evil thing in the movie. Yeah, because I was going to say, if I say the worst thing in the movie, they'll be like, well, you might be. Simon. No, you're never, you never you're never the worst thing in the movie. But, ooh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to that one. But also, coming up for you, which I know it hasn't even been shot yet. Um, at least I don't think it has. It's that you're playing Santa Claus. Well, I ha well, I I'm playing Santa Claus again, actually. So it's a sequel to Nights Before Christmas. Yes. Uh, actually, actually, it's uh, reprising that one. So that's going to be super fun, and that's coming up. Yeah, yeah. So that's coming up, and oh. I have shot another movie that's coming out in September called Blood and Snow, and that movie is also with Vernon Wells. You know, I don't uh, know what it. You know, and Vernon is such a love. Oh, he, I love that. He is yeah, big love. And he's played Santa Claus, too. Did you know that? I didn't know that he played Santa Claus. No. He oh, has, what did he play Santa Claus in? He My has God. played Santa in two movies. Two horror movies. I can't. The names escape oh. me. But, yes, Vernon oh. has played Santa as well. After playing oh. all these heavies. Um, yes. He did horror films. He tackles Santa Claus. Oh, I don't know how I didn't. How I didn't know that about Vernon, I don't know. Well, I'll have, to, I'll, have to, I'll have to talk to him about that the next time I see him. I'm hoping I'm getting him down to the Blood and Snow premiere. So, I'll have to, God, I'll have, to, I'll have to mention that. I don't know how that never came up. But, you know, this is what I love about 
you know, it's like you are always working. Somebody like Vernon is always working. You guys just don't stop. And you, of course, in between acting in this multiplicity of projects that are nonstop and such a variety as well, you're also writing and directing. You've got your United States of Horror that's been going on for a few years. Yeah, love that. That's a, a little slice of horror from every state in the United States. Now, you're doing a lot of directing on the Chapter 3 one, are you not? Uh, no, I'm, it's with its creative directing, so it's overseeing all of okay. the short filmmakers. So um, just uh, putting it all together, because it's like an anthology. It's like a collection of short films well, from every state. So it's, it's me just overseeing it. I don't want to take the directing credit from these guys. They're doing a wonderful job. So now, overseeing it. How do you find all of these little tales of horror from around the United States? Do you find oh, some of them? Do you find some, some of them? Some of them exist, you know. So we, these guys shoot the movies and they send them to us. And some of them they send the scripts and we just have a little read of them. They're only short films, so they're quicker to get through, sort of. So, and you have to remember, we have to find fifty of these. <laughs> <laughs> Has, we have chapter one and two already out there. Chapter three is coming out. Now, have you run into any problems? finding enough of these stories to fill the anthologies? No, no not at all. Um, in, the, in the states that you think, you know, I don't know, if you get to, I don't know, Alaska, you might be worried about finding, is that, well, is there enough, you know, is there enough of a film community in Anchorage, Alaska to find these things? And there is. There's uh, young, inspiring filmmakers everywhere, and that's what's great about it. Now, what is the strangest, strangest, story that has come to you thus far for United oh, States of Horror to come out the of our strange, beloved, the strangest one, out of our beloved 50 states? The strangest one? My goodness. Um, they're all pretty, I don't mind telling you, Debbie, they're all pretty strange, because uh, that's what <laughs> makes them kind of wonderful. Um, but there was, a, yeah, some guy, one of the movies was an animation, and uh, the animation was about a guy being... Uh, abducted by aliens, but then the, he turns out the aliens turn to be like predator aliens, uh, and it, it was like a clay animation in the style of Pingu. You oh know, my! Pingu, do you remember that? Yes, um, I do. Oh my! Right, gosh. it was that, but horror, which was a sort of very weird mix of sort of very childlike innocence, sort of with you know that sort of plasticine, <laughs> you know, oh, sort of uh, the, stuff, the but claymation. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> And I like how you how you wove it in there. Predator aliens. Predator takes yeah. us back to Arnold. Wait, you know. it did. See, I did that. I did. I did that subconsciously. Uh, see, look at that. I mean, you're just working every angle, Simon. Working every <laughs> angle. Now, how do you even find time to juggle all of this? Now, I know with a lot of these film projects where you're acting, you you're getting in and out. You're doing a couple days for a short scene or something. But then yeah. other, other stuff, something like Survive the Game, you know, Bresic oh, had... That's a whole, a whole week, a yeah. whole month worth of work, yeah. Bresic had you in there for the whole thing because English was an important character, a very important well, was, character. Well, he was certainly a very fun character, I think. So, but, you know, <laughs> how do you keep all the balls in the air and fit all of this into your schedule? A lot of coffee and Red Bull, Debbie, is the way That's... forward for all these things. I'm not saying it's good for you, but it does mean you don't sleep a lot. Now, are we mixing the coffee and Red Bull together? 
We're not rigged at well, no, but by the time <laughs> by the time I start drinking the Red Bull, it's time to drop a little vodka in it. It's just like oh, a uh, that that was gonna be my next question. That well that's you've got to, you can't work you have to work hard and play hard. That's that's the rule of Sydney. There's not much point in doing it if you can't if there's no time to play hard a little bit. You have to be able to play. You gotta be. And you know and, and not just play on screen, but actually play off stre- off screen as well. Exactly. Exactly, and that's what that's what has me in the room. You know, when you get all these guys give me these wonderful jobs, that's probably because at some point I've been out enjoying a drink with them, Debbie, and they're like, "Ah, that guy, he's good to have around. Let's get him on set." <laughs> but <laughs> he's yeah, a good person, I know. But it's true. I well, think it's true. I believe in it. I subscribe to this. This is this is how I built my whole life. I mean, some <laughs> of the some of the best connections I have made. Or deals that I have made have been sitting in the local bar having a cocktail. Well, that, well, that's, that's that, that is the way I believe it should be. To be honest, uh, some points people are like, "Well, no, that's nothing to do with work," and you're like, "Well, there's a big, particularly with filmmaking, there's a big social aspect to it." That's yeah. just it, because it also gives you an idea of who these people are, you know, who they really are. And do you exactly. and do you really want to work it. with them? Yeah, and then that's that's what makes these guys like you is that they they kind of know who you really are, and you they didn't feel like they were interviewing you, and you were just putting on your best behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, so they felt like, nah, we really we really got to the bottom of who he was. Yeah, and vice versa. So you got to know yeah. who they were. You know, is that somebody that you would want to be spending? you know, a month with or even a week or two working on a project. Exactly. exactly. If you're going to be trapped out in Puerto Rico, you want to know that James Cullen Bresset can always be persuaded to go for a drink with you. <laughs> <laughs> even though he's got to be up at 6 a.m. in the morning. He's like, no, Simon. I'm like, come on, we'll only have one, which is the famous lie you tell them. Uh, but, you know, James is always up for uh, up for something. Oh, yeah. He's great. He really <laughs> is. I James and I have gotten to know each other fairly well over the years with all the films that he turns out. Um, he's he's killing it at the moment as well. Good for him. He is a hard, hard worker. But now, what are you looking for at this stage of the game? Because you're also looking at things from your writer's eye, your actor's eye, your producer's eye. Does that impact your decision? It, when you're looking at projects that you want to get involved with? Um, you know, it, it, every project is really different. So you just got to judge it up by what you feel would be, you know, a good project. Um, you know, like maybe that's the team involved. Maybe that's the script. Maybe it's all, you know, where it's being filmed or, I don't know, the producers that are making it or the network that's making it. I mean, this one... Maybe this was pretty easy. Do you want to be part of Arnold Schwarzenegger's <laughs> first ever TV show? Yes, please. That was a no-brainer. Yeah, so some of these are, like, really easy. <laughs> you know. Now, what about something like End of Loyalty uh, that yeah. Hiroshi Katagiri did? That I, yeah. I just think that film, it's so much fun. It's so good. And visually, it is so gorgeous. The use of color out in the desert is stunning. Uh, yeah, they had a, that was exciting to film. I can't remember what the name of that place was, but they had they had this location 
with a whole load of airplane wrecks and mm-hmm. stuff out there. We're like, oh, this is great. <laughs> like, this is just seeing out here. That's amazing. I mean, it looked, you know, the, the whole palette looked beautiful. And the production values were excellent on it. But your character of Vincent was a kick in the ass. Again. Well, I like to be the funny guy. There's not the, uh, you know, in a room full of tough people, because everyone was trying to be very tough, I did the, I did the same gag. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the secret here. Yes. I did the same gag as I did with Survive the Game, which is like when everybody's trying to be tough, the way to stand out is to be the coward a little bit. But it works because 90 per, 90% of the people, if not more, who are going to watch the movie, they're the ones who are going to relate to you because they want to be the coward, too. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't, and they're just like, oh, I don't want to be in this. Like, you know, sort of, no, I feel in, my, in over my head here. <laughs> <laughs> now, with all of these, with all of these films that you can do and you do change it up. You get a lot of action films, but something like Stealing Chaplin, that's just balls-to-the-wall comedy based on a real-life incident. Um, You know, is there a genre that you're drawn to? Because obviously something like FUBAR is not going to be the same as One Christmas Night in a Toy Store. Uh, Or even, you know, you, What Lurks Beneath. You get to be the intelligence officer uh, in that one. Um, That's right. <laughs> uh, there's not one. I, I don't know if there's one genre, but because every project's different. So, would I would I have picked an action TV show? No. But w- when it's an action comedy TV show and mm-hmm. it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, then hell yes. So you know, like it's not like a genre thing. It's more that was more about well, that was more about Schwarzenegger and his first ever TV show. That was the whole thing. And I was like, as long as I, am I doing a scene with Arnold Schwarzenegger? They're like, yes. That's all your stuff is with him. I was like, yeah, then absolutely. Yeah, you know, that's the. Uh, but I don't prefer horror. I don't prefer. I don't prefer any one genre. I just. Uh, I like to. I'm just very lucky to just keep doing it. Like, yeah, that's that's that to me. That's the win. Is to keep working. Well, and the joy is in watching you, Simon. You seamlessly go in and out of these different genres. <laughs> I, I know. I just. I'm having the here's the, here's the problem, Debbie. I'm having too much fun. Oh, you can never have too much fun, Simon. <laughs> you can never have too much fun. Well, Especially when you're doing something you love. And you definitely, it's obvious how much you love what you do. Oh, yes. I, 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 I would, I'd have to stop doing it if I didn't like it. But I, I love it. So that's, that's, not a, that's not a problem for me. I can work like an 18-hour day. On this sort of stuff because you know it's easy i couldn't do i couldn't work in an office monday to friday nine to five though i could do a seven hour day or something i didn't like so it's, e- it's easy this end of it but now do you see yourself um diving more into the producing end the creative producing end uh as uh, the, as time goes on or do you still want to maintain the hectic pace that you have of being on screen I, I'd like to do both. I, I enjoy both. So uh, it never, it, it, none of them seem like a chore to me. Sort of. So if there's time to do both, what I want to do is just lots of different things, you know, sort of. And then obviously some of the stuff that you do will be more successful than other bits. And that's fine because it's all creative fun. Now, with producing, how, how much longer do you see United States of Horror? Because this is your big, that's, this is your big baby. 
is My big baby? the big what? babies, United They're States of Har. How, how um, much yeah, longer do you see it going? the United States of Horror. We go, we go international for the United Kingdom of Horror. See what we did there? Uh-huh. <laughs> and I... then after that, we go to the United Nations of Horror. I like that idea. See? I like that mm-hmm. idea. There's method in the madness. There is. There's definitely method in the madness. You know, the only thing is I, I'm hoping that somehow... If we get a season two out of FUBAR, that somehow yeah. you get to come back. Wow. Let's cross our fingers and hope. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's a different character. That's one of the things I miss with television now and with series, be it streaming or, or cable or broadcast TV, is years ago that you could expect to see supporting players, such as on Murder, She Wrote. I think almost... I'd say probably 75-80% of the guest stars that were on the show, they were always they always made at least one or two appearances as different characters throughout the run the 12 seasons of the show. And yeah. this was the case, too, with shows like Emergency and Adam-12. This was the rule of the day. And that we've gotten away from so that somebody doesn't come back on to a series and play a different character. And I miss that. Well, they, they could be, uh, like, we're just spitballing here, Debbie, but it could be his evil identical twin. See? Well, General Hospital did that with Tony Geary. There you go. See? He's even got good form. <laughs> so, but that's something that I miss in shows Well, I think, now. you know, if, if there was ever a show to push the ba- push it back, it's, um, it's free well, because they're making that, it's got made with such wonderful energy. Um, yeah. Like an innocence, like True Lies, you know, it has that sort of uh, elevated comedy to it. So, if anybody can do it, I believe they could. I think so, and I, of course, I saw today that, you know, it's like Netflix is touting, you know, Arnold as creative director of action uh, for <laughs> Netflix now. Uh, <laughs> well, that that makes a lot of sense to me. It makes sense to me too. Hey, now a big question for you with Fubar. You've got the greatest beer steins in the world that you, the two of you are drinking out of. <laughs> Did you get to abscond yours and take it home with you? That, that was one of the things I tried to steal, and they were absolutely not going to let me steal. <laughs> you can do a film I, and steal a corpse, but you can't steal a beer stein. I know, just one beer stein. And I wouldn't mind. They had doubles of these things. So it's like, Ah, you won't miss one. And they were like, give it back, Simon. I was like, okay. Okay, well, there's just no, that. that's just unconstitutional. It is. I think you should be allowed to see that. At least one thing. And that's such a seminal part of your character. I know. I wanted to steal the knife, actually. Oh. Yeah. I like but, the, I'd rather have the beer stein. Well. I'd get more use out of the beer stein, obviously. Well, we know that. We know that about Simon. We both would. We both yeah. would get more use out of the beer stein. But I have to exactly. say, the one that Arnold was drinking out of has a nice little trick to it that yours didn't have. It did, but Debbie, we're not allowed to say what that might be. And we aren't saying what, what that might be. It's just, <laughs> I mean, it was pretty cool. Everybody has to wait until Thursday to see it for themselves. Mm-hmm. And right. I mean, it's a show that I even they've said reviews are embargoed until Thursday, 
but I'm not doing a written review now. We're just spitballing about the show. Oh, we're allowed to talk about it. Yeah, yeah we uh, can talk about it. I can't write a review on it, but we can talk about it. And I can't, I just, I think it's one of the best things that Netflix has put, has yeah, put out in a while. They've done a really good job. Well, Nick Santora, Dana Goldberg, these guys have done an epic job just making it fun. Like, it just felt like fun making it, and you can feel that they had fun making it. You know, sort of, and I think that translates over to the show itself. Well, a question for you, um, because, you know, there are some great creative talents behind FUBAR. Um, did they, how was it behind the scenes for you coming in as an actor? Because it looks like they really did do great build-out on a lot of these sets. Oh, yeah. The, listen, Debbie, here's my big complaint to Netflix. Um, they, all these guys got to go to glamorous locations in Argentina on the beaches and everything like that. Where did Simon get to go? He got to go to a warehouse in Toronto. What? I know. Oh, no. That's just, that, it was a very nicely apportioned clandestine <laughs> warehouse. I mean, it was, but you know, like, I mean, why didn't, why couldn't I have had my face-off scene with Arnold on a beach, for instance? Like, you know, I, I, mean, I you know, I think that you, you got robbed, Simon. I did, I did a little bit. I mean, people have said, "Oh, poor you, you got to hang out with Arnold Schwarzenegger for the day." And I was like, "Yes, all right." I mean, when you say it like that, I sound like I'm being unreasonable. <laughs> but then you look at where everybody else gets to go in the series. This is my point, Debbie, exactly. We're on the same page, Simon. We're on the same page yeah. here. I, it's it's going to be okay because somehow I'm going to get into Cliffhanger 2 with Stallone. It's going to be fine. Do, Don't worry. That, that's going to make up for it, right? That's going to make gonna, up for it. All of these things will be, I'll somehow get killed in Cliffhanger by Stallone and my life will have been complete. I'll go, <laughs> right, that's it. I'm retiring. I've done everything I need to do. <laughs> Well, because, of course, in Survive the Game, it's no secret to anybody what happens to you there. Uh, but, but I like that idea. I'm still waiting. I want to know when I'm getting a sequel to Stealing Chaplin. Oh, that's still coming. That's still coming. Yeah, you are, are going to get it. Uh, have Don't you, worry. Have you figured out who the next corpse is you're going to steal? Um, I'm, all right. I'm going to give you the title, which should probably give it away to you. It's, we're going to steal Elvis. Oh my God! You're you're gonna rob well, Grace. The only way to go from Chaplin is up, right? I was like, well, who's more famous than Charlie Chaplin? I was like, there's only one way to go for me there. You know, that's Graceland. That's 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 <laughs> Graceland. But the beauty. It's a great plan, right? I think it's fabulous. But of course, yeah. the, the fun of stealing Chaplin, though, is that it really did happen. His body. Ah. That that is just the kicker. No, hold on. I've got some surprising news for you. Yes. Yes. Somebody did try to steal Elvis Presley's body. Really? You can look it up. The FBI foiled the plot. It must have been the National Enquirer. I mean, they didn't actually steal it, but there was a plan for somebody to steal it, and the FBI caught them before they did it. Oh, my God. So, I whilst... It didn't actually happen. It nearly did. Wow. So, there you go. Okay, now, are you going to be writing the script for, again, uh, co-writing Stealing Elvis? Yes, I came up with a story for it. But uh, 
Doug Phillips. Remember my my co-star. Yes. The 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 hapless Terry. Yes. Yes, shit, Terry. We're getting the dynamic duo back in action. Oh my! And now, are you? Is Paul going to come back and direct it? He surely is. (laughs) So the whole we're reuniting the whole team. Ken is going to produce. Um, you know, so the whole, the whole, those, all the boys are back in town for that one. And the beauty is, with Elvis, you actually could have Wayne Newton come back. <laughs> Wayne Newton actually knew Elvis. I know. That's what I mean. So, I mean, that's a that's a big tempting plot. You might have you might have had a, a sneaky access into Simon's mind there, Debbie. Oh, I like Simon's mind. I it is, it's, well, it's a deep and dark place, but I mean, every now and then there's something funny in it. There's a lot of funny. You got a lot what? of funny in there, Simon. <laughs> so, are you shooting anything now, or are you resting? Uh, no, no, I'm not resting. I'm, ne- I'm never resting. Um, ever, ever, ever. Sadly, I don't. I don't even like sleep. I mean, it's boring. Um, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm about to start shooting work. On The Influencer, the sequel. So we made a horror movie, like a social media horror movie, is the only way I can say it, um, called The Influencer, about a a guy who hates social media, and he kidnaps a social media influencer and makes her sort of jump through hoops to to, uh, get uh, to do do his bidding. Now, that movie's already out. It's called The Influencer, but we're just wrapping up on um, The Influencer 2, and I'm about to start work on The Influencer 3. What? Wow. Yep. So we've already wrapped on the sequel to it. It's not out yet. It'll be out on Halloween. But I'm uh, next week, I start work on The Influencer 3. Wow. Did you have any idea when you when you started The Influencer that this would turn into a franchise? No. It was definitely supposed to be just one movie. and uh, But then people liked it. It did very well. in really random places like Japan or something like, oh, they really liked it. And I was like, oh, well, we'll do a sequel then. Well, and then they were like, could you do two more? You're like, ah, well, I'm sure if we tell the director, Jamie, I'm sure he would he'll love that. Now, see, that's something very interesting that you just said about the popularity in Japan, the international audience. So many yeah. so many of these smaller films that you do, Simon, they may not be bombastic here in the United States. Uh, but they have a far reach. They have a far reach. And the international audience really eats yeah. these films up. They love the you know we're talking about the Netflix world and everything there, but you know, the world's a lot smaller now than it was, you know, like it, because what it is, is they have, I don't know what the Japanese Netflix equivalent of is, although I'm sure they actually have Netflix, but there are streaming services everywhere. And they mm-hmm. do, you know, the films, so the films are so easy to get to a massive audience, you know, sort of. So, you know, all of a sudden you find you're getting, um, you find you're getting emails from people in, I don't know, China or somewhere very random saying, oh, I just saw the movie, I loved your movie. And you're like, what? You know, <laughs> but it's because they're watching it on whatever the streaming service is in China. You know, like they, they, each country has their own sort of top, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that. Or, you know, so it's, it's a smaller world than it used to be. And of course, with the staggered releasing as to what's going, you know, in the European market, the Asian market, the US, yeah. the North American market, for so many of these films, it might be a year later or a year earlier. It, that's right. I'm just I, next week. I start work on De Influencer three, and on June fifth, De Influencer the first movie comes out in the United Kingdom. So it's like 
when when people are talking to me about that from back in my home territory of London, and they say, oh, we just saw this movie, and I've literally wrapped on the sequel, and I'm on the third one, and they're watching the first one. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, if you love that, you're going to love what we're doing next. Oh, my God. And I've noticed that with a few uh, filmmakers and actors I've spoken with over the past few years, that uh, in some of these, especially if dubbing is involved, uh, that the U.S. version may come out first, and then a year later, the German version will come out. Or That's right, yeah. even the UK version. There was an adorable animated film. I can't. The name escapes me now. But it was really charming. Came out in the US. Had a different set of voice actors for the UK. But the UK came out after the US one. And then there was a totally different of Thai dubbing. Yeah. They're normally, you find, whenever it's those things, they, they do dub it in... Uh in these things so it's it's kind of it, it's kind of cool uh, especially to hear yourself and something and let me tell you something wild that happened to me once uh, Debbie is yes. um, I was doing a film and I, I went to Germany and uh, they were like obviously your voice isn't your voice in Germany but the guy was like oh no you now have a voice in Germany and I didn't really understand what he meant but he means that whenever they dub one of my movies or my TV shows in German they use the same actor, the same German actor, so that I sound the same across multiple movies. Wow. Isn't that cool? And they could, did they at least get you somebody really great like Thomas Kretschmann or, you know, or they even Arnold? Possible. Let Arnold be your voice double. Hey, you know, I'll suggest it to him the next time I see him. <laughs> get out. Just trying to help a friend here. Trying to help a I friend know. here. Listen, we're coming up. Um, we're, we're coming up with great ideas here. That's more, more people need to act on what the things that we're saying. <laughs> well, that's because we're smarter than the average bear, obviously. Well, there you go. Oh, my that, God. That was always the interest. But, oh, Simon, this has been an absolute joy, delight, foobard with fun. Um, I love talking with you, Simon. I always do. <laughs> It's also, it's the easiest part of my day, Debbie, talking to you. I love it. Oh, my God. Well, hopefully, we're going to, with Blood and Snow coming out in September. Yeah. Hopefully, we, we'll be t- chatting about that. In the meantime, I am going to get you information and, and try and do a hookup for you. That's um, right. And then, and then we'll, be on the, we'll be on the phone in a year's time, and you'll be like, Simon, who do you have to thank for this hookup and this, you know, who put the initial pieces together? And I'm like, I owe it all to you, Debbie. Everything. <laughs> well, see, I'm going to, with, with Blood and Snow that you're doing with Vernon, I want to try and get both of you guys together on the phone for the show. Oh, oh yeah. We should totally do that. I love that. And then I won't have to do anything. I'll just let the two of you <laughs> chatter. You uh, just let me and Vernon argue with each other, which is all we do. We, we have a, a, a long-running argument about Australia and England, which is the better country. I'm sure you know where Vernon stands on that. I know, yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's not across and the pond. It's not. So, you know, that's, we have that long-running argument between us, and that's how we, that's how we exist together. But that's a very healthy <laughs> argument. Yeah. There, there are other kinds of arguments you could be having that would be very detrimental, but that's a healthy one. 
And this is a healthy one, and we, we do actually love each other. That's why he, we keep working on different films together. So. Well, but now you've got to ask him about playing Santa. I, well, I, did, I, I didn't know, so I'm definitely going to have to ask him. Yeah, yeah. I just I, I have all these little trivial factoids floating around in my head. I know. So you just got to acknowledge his power, Debbie. Acknowledge his power. <laughs> well, my friend, this has been an absolute joy. I can't wait till we talk again in another few months. You'll have to clear. You'll have to clear your calendar for me. Uh, done and done. Oh, Simon, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Good, good talking to you, Debbie. Uh, I'll talk to you soon. Yes, and ev- in the meantime, everybody can watch you Thursday on Netflix in Fubar. That's right, May twenty fifth. Netflix, check it out, everybody. Oh, Simon, thank you. <laughs> no problem. Thanks, Debbie. Bye bye. And that was the irascible and entertaining Simon Phillips. I adore Simon. Uh, It is always a joy to talk to him. And now we're going to switch gears. And yes, now we're going to switch gears to Kandahar. And yes, the show is going to run over because the interview is 25 minutes long. Um, So, and Pam's nodding her head in agreement. Yes, it is. Kandahar. It is spectacular, is an understatement. Uh, It is the story. Gerard Butler is an undercover CIA operative. And uh, he is in the Middle East and pulling off some uh, undercover jobs. But in order to get out of Saudi Arabia, he's got to make it 400 miles and get to Kandahar. Uh, And this is the journey. And it's the people. The whole thing, the movie was shot in Saudi Arabia. This is the first film since Lawrence of Arabia to be shot in Saudi Arabia. Um, as you're going to hear Rick talk about, Rick loves explosions. Anybody that saw Angel Has Fallen, there is the one sequence with Nick Nolte and Gerard Butler running through the forest. And it's explosion, 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 explosion. And lovingly referred to by Rick as Napalm Alley. He has surpassed that. Surpassed that with Kandahar. And you're going to hear him talk about how he surpassed it. But also, he and his cinematographer, McGregor, they are utilizing this incredible technology called fusion technology uh, for a very key night sequence in the film during this travel across the desert. Traveling with Jerry's character of Tom Harris is a local who actually he lives in the United States, but he is originally from the the region. His name is Mo, played by the incredible Navid uh, uh, Nagaban. And watching... Jerry and Navid Bond in their characters in this film, they are, that is the heart of this film. And it speaks volumes as to the world. How these two men that you would never even think would be in the same room together are working together. And then they're bonding over family, over parenting. Um, they are finding common ground to move ahead Uh, despite the geopolitical 
situation in the world. We get to see this when this film was shot, it was shot at a very fluid time. It, the script was originally written while we were still the US was still in Afghanistan. US departure from Afghanistan was happening just as they were getting ready to film. Mitchell LaFortune, the screenwriter with DOD contacts and other people in Intel, was taking current information and reworking the script so that it would be timely as to exactly what was happening in the region. The attention to detail is amazing. Colby Parker does the editing. David Buckley is back as the composer. He, he does a great job for Rick on Rick's films. Just outstanding. But you are just drawn in. It's action-packed. It's explosive. There are multiple levels of intrigue, character ambiguity, issues of loyalty. And at the end of the it's, in a sense, a buddy road trip uh, crossing the desert. And this is where McGregor's cinematography is so key uh, because it just, it shows the beauty of the desert. The desert isn't all hot and dusty. And Rick talks about their approach in this. In addition to Jerry and Navid, the film also stars Travis Fimmel, who is a kick in the ass, Tom Reese Harris, Bahador Filati, and Ali Fazel, who you heard here on Behind the Lens a few months ago, uh, and talked a little bit about Greenland, a little bit about Kandahar, because he couldn't divulge that much at that point. Said it's a fantastic film, and he spends the film chasing Gerard Butler across the desert. Yes, his character of Cahill does just that, and more. So, without any further ado, take a listen to my exclusive interview with Rick Romanois, director of Kandahar. Hello. Hello, old friend. How are you? I am so, so happy to get to talk with you again. How have you been? It's been crazy. You know, it was... Um... This, this movie was, you know, living overseas for, I mean, almost 18 months because, well, off and on for 18 months because of the pandemic and when the Delta variant surged across Europe, you know, we were already in Saudi Arabia and mounting the first major picture they've ever done since Lawrence of Arabia um, at this scale. And, you know, then we got shut down and, you know, and then having to remount a second time. I mean, this is, I've, I've been saying this is my apocalypse now, um, <laughs> the Saudi version, but it's, um, you know, I'm very pleased with the outcome and um, it was a rewarding experience, but it was, a, it was a crazy journey. Did the tornadoes get to go with you while you were over there? Not only that, but um, it was emotional for me because it was the first time I was able to have them work on set for about a month. <gasps> um, they... They worked in Cameron um, and Grip on the departments and really loved it. And everybody loved them and they worked their butts off and, you know, and got to kind of see it. And, you know, the, you know, the, the, the way that we work now where we go to a lot of these tax incentive areas, you know, it's kind of lost the luster where you get people that, you know, they're there just to punch a clock and they'll leave you at a moment's notice if something else comes along or there's a longer run or a bigger movie. But we know we brought 450 people um, from 25 countries to Saudi Arabia, and it was the way I grew up in the business, where everybody went and we pitched a tent, and we made and we went and made it. And so everybody was there for passion and. 
for doing something extraordinary. And so from, to have um, Jackson Braden, my sons, to have a small taste of that, of what that was, you know, like those, these movies are far few in between that are built this way now. And it was really a great experience for them to see it. Oh, my God. I wish your dad were alive to see this, Rick. I, I mean, because as you're telling me this about Jackson and Braden, I remember when I first met you and Scotty. And you guys were just starting out. See, you're making me feel really old here, my friend. Um, we all are. Yeah, we all are. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just got my Medicare card, so there. <laughs> but, you know, as you tell me that about Jackson and Braden, I can't help. Immediately, I'm thinking of you and Scotty and your dad. Um, and well, when the I, first time that I worked, you know, in the camera department was I was 14, and that's exactly the same age they were. It was just the... It was the strangest kind of surreal moment of, oh you know, them getting ready for work at, at, you know, in dark in the morning and, you know, and coming with me and then standing there on, you know, out in the middle of the Arabian desert is the sun rising. And yeah, it was, it was a proud moment, you know, it was, and it was that great moment of whether they want to stay in the sandbox that we play in or not. You know, they're, they're all about Texas football right now. So they have other, they have other priorities, but it was a great experience. And, you know, again, it was it brought me back to the way that we used to make movies back in the day when everybody came to a town. There was no infrastructure. We had to completely I mean, we we built everything there, the entire infrastructure, the way that um, the, the laws of how to get stuff in and out. I mean, Saudi Arabia has has a, a, a solid film community, but at a very small scale compared to what we do. So we. We had 500 people, but only 50 really were from Saudi. Um, and then we trained up a lot of others, but it was really interesting to be a part of what's going on there in, in, the, in, the, in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia and bringing so many different, now we brought every religion, gender, you name it there. And it was just a, a really neat experience for everybody. Oh my God, Rick. Well, I watched this as soon as they sent me a link the other week. Within 30 minutes, I watched the film as I'm sure comes as no surprise to you. I have to tell you, you talk about Lawrence of Arabia, this is your Lawrence of Arabia. This is, wow, thank you. Rick, this is masterful. It is, ex explosive is an understatement. And you talk about all the 25 different countries of people, 450 people on set. The film itself, Mitchell's script is a geopolitical thriller. But we see so many aspects of the world unfolding, and you have taken that that all the differences in in the world, and brought them all together. Twenty five countries worth of people, in the making of this film. This is very much behind the scenes. What you're telling me is exactly what plays out between Tom and Mo on screen. The coming together of the differences and the commonality and the passion of one main goal. Well, the interesting, the interesting thing about the journey of this is, you know, Mitch was in the DIA, which is the military's intelligence unit, like the CIA, and he was in Herat, Afghanistan during, you know, during the war um, there. And he had always, it was inspired by true events. There was a CIA operator with, um, with his um, translator that got outed, and then they went on the run. And of course, now we expanded the story and what I loved about his script from the get-go was the humanity he brought to the region. I always felt like it was Sicario of the Middle East, but 
instead of just one country, you're dealing with multiple countries who have been at war for many, many centuries. And that cycle of violence just keeps going on and on. But how do people live and breathe there? And it shows the humanity of the region, what people are, who they are, what the, what's at stake. But the original script was written while we were still occupying Afghanistan. And we had prepped it that way. And then when the Delta variant happened and shut us down, it was the, it was the most I ironic thing. It was the exact same time that the U.S. withdrawal happened oh, out wow. of Afghanistan. So we completely rewrote the script and made it more about what was, what was left over. The idea that so many people have been left behind, but also what was, what was the 20 years of fighting for, you know, and what is happening back there now. So it was really interesting to not only play it from the Western's um, uh, perspective, but also what happens to all these other countries and what happens to all of their people that are involved with this when everybody's doing the land grab now, like everything in Afghanistan is changing. So as we were working and shooting, Mitch was constantly getting updates from active military intelligence about how the landscape was changing and we were constantly keeping ourselves up to date as fast as we could because everything was unfolding as we were filming. Well, this explains why the film is so to extremely timely and topical. And it, this now gives me even more backstory to Ali Fossil's character of Cahill, because he is really old school, new school, and he is walking that line. You've got that one great scene where he's sitting in there with elders trying to talk to people and walks out, and he's immediately on rent-a-date, swipe left, swipe right. And it's so funny to see that, but that really is the microcosm of what's happening in the world over there. Of the old, it is. It's, um, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, since 2017, 2018, started Vision 2030, and it was all about um, finding a more progressive way of living and bringing culture to a kingdom that never had it before. For example, not only were there no movie theaters, not one single movie theater in Saudi Arabia in 2017. By the time I landed, um, Greenland was coming out, and Greenland was on 150 multiplex screens in Saudi Arabia um, and, and within three years. And then the fact that, you know, the, the workforce, when you come in, it is predominantly women now. Women drive. 30% of the women do not cover up anymore. There's no law about it. It's only about their religion if they, if they choose to cover up. And what's interesting is that you realize that that's going on all across the region. It's what is going on with the uprisings in Iran. It's what's going on in Pakistan. And we wanted that theme to carry in this movie about what you just nailed, Debbie. It's about the ultra-conservatives, which is very indicative of what's going on in our country, right? You have the mm -hmm. ultra-conservative movement versus the progressives that want change and want more, um, you, know, you know, more unity um, and um and not and and, uh, and you know and people coming together not not to be such a divisive world and but that's happening in the Middle East too. There's a massive progressive movement um, of people wanting to change and the newer generation that Cahill's character, you know, Ali Fazal plays that his character represents, working for the head of the ISI that is doing his five prayers a day like a good Muslim and is very devout, um, and this is the way he lives his life and, and fighting the greater good for his country, and yet his young lion is meeting with the Taliban, which is very true and accurate of how those two countries are operating, or the two factions are operating right now, 
and then he walks out and he's smoking a vape pen and putting on Gucci sunglasses. <laughs> and he's not even paying attention to the the, the afternoon prayer. Yeah. And that's very that is very very real of what's happening in that world right now. And of course, not to give anything away, but I have to say, when we see Cahill lying in the desert, and you think he's down and out, but the phone rings and he answers the phone. And he's got a smile on his face. You figure it's the date he was trying to make, and she's finally said yes. Mm-hmm. I laughed when I saw that. I just thought that was just adorable, but so telling about the world in which we live in. But this whole film, Rick, oh my God. The, the beauty of this film, and this is something you always do. You have a heart in your films, and there's always a journey. You know, we saw this in Greenland, we saw this in Angel, we saw it in Felon, National Champions, which is just off the charts with emotion and journey and truth. But here, watching Jerry and Navid, watching the characters of Tom and Mo building this relationship, despite all their differences and why they should never even be pursuing something together. It is so astounding and amazing. And I got to tell you, Navid is the heart of the film. His character of Mo absolutely blows me away. But those night scenes, that's the pivotal part of this film as these two men are under fire, under cloak of darkness. And you and McGregor, you're going between night vision shots and actual night shots. I think it is the most spectacular segment you've ever done. Thank you. I mean, it was it was definitely an undertaking, you know, to and it was something that I wanted to I wanted the movie to look like a Steve McCurry, like Steve McCurry himself shot it. I wanted the movie to not look like this desaturated, dusty, you know, um, downtrodden, you know, downtrodden uh, uh, look that we've seen for the last 20 years in the Middle East. I wanted to show the beauty of the region and really show it in all of its spectacle. But the same time the desert at night is black right there's nothing out there to light it and so it was great to have these different ways of using not only just normal night vision but what a lot of the big tier one operators use now in the cia and the reconnaissance uses uses is called um fusion technology which which mirrors uh it, it mirrors um night vision infrared with also um with uh, thermal and you can change it to black and white. I thought, this is great. This is like, I want to show the desert at night the way Ansel Adams would have painted it, you know, during the day. And so there was, it, was a really, it was a really cool way of doing that. But that sequence with the helicopter, luckily I had Fred North flying and um, brought a lot of, you know, big talent people in because it was, it was very dangerous what we were doing, um, that kind of maneuvering at night and so forth. And, uh, but also re- really rewarding to, to, to try to pull that off. It is breathtaking. I was literally holding my breath, Rick, watching that whole sequence. And then as Colby, you know, as he's editing back and forth between the two looks, just mind-blowing. It really is the most spectacular visual you have ever put together and shot. It just absolutely outstanding. And something that I really love with what you and McGregor do is the fact that you mentioned something really important here with this film. We don't get a dusty, dry desert. You go into a lot of widescreen, so we see the expansiveness, but the color temperature that you're shooting at, 
there's a warmth to it. We feel isolation. We see how desolate and alone they, Tom and Mo may be trying to journey across the desert with the whole we are fucked kind of, <laughs> kind of idea. But there is still, there's this blanketing richness that we get from the colors and the hues of the sand and the rocks. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful, it's yet still dark, stark and foreboding. I think the, a big part of it was also Vincent Reno and Kimberly Adams, who, you know, our costume designer and production designer, who we really went in there with McGregor and all of us and talked about where the key colors were going to be. And in Herat, it's a very interesting um, um, fact that the women of Herat, they cover themselves, their hijabs and so forth, are this really kind of strange turquoise blue. And, and the reason is because when the Russians invaded them back in the 80s, they, they left this fabric behind that was blue. So that's what all the burkas were made from, is from this blue material. So to this day, if you go to somewhere like Kabul in northern Afghanistan, they're all in black burkas and hijabs. But in Herat, they were in blue. So we said there's certain things in those, town, in those kind of landscapes that we want to pick the color blue so that it matches the sky and so forth and find those primary colors and show the richness of the place. So it doesn't feel like this big tapestry of color, but it's very specific into the mood and tone that you want for each piece. It's just absolutely spectacular. And I love that. And even what that fusion technology gives us in the night shoots with the vibrancy of the shades of gray that we're getting within the rocks. There's texture, you can see the texture. Nothing is bland and flat, just visually exquisite. And I'm telling you, I think you have outdone yourself with the explosions here. Even though, you know, some are CGI. I mean, I know how proud you are of Napalm Alley and Angel Has Fallen, but I think you've outdone it here. Imploding and those under... Were, <laughs> no, those are, Debbie, those are real. Those oh. weren't CG. We, we did those. That's Joe Pancake who <gasps> did Pearl Harbor and and so forth, and th those were by far one of the top three biggest explosions ever done on film. We we set off, they, and we felt bad, the airport that was five kilometers away, the ground rumbled and they heard it, and they, you know, unfortunately we're dealing with a terror, country that deals with terrorism. The airport security knew what we were doing and so forth, but people felt it from five kilometers away. Oh my God, wow. Yeah, no, that was all real. Oh my, I knew a lot of the explosions were real because I know that's how you roll. But I, I, thought, I thought for sure some were so massive that they had to be CGI over there. If you were doing it here in the States, I would have figured, no, you were just doing Napalm Alley Volume 2. Oh my God, Rick. Yeah, Whoa. Yeah, that much sand in the air and, and dirt and everything else is big. And we wanted that. We wanted, we wanted the movie to have a different flow all the way through, to have the, you know, again, to really tap into the humanity of the region and not really have anybody, like, you know, a lot of my movies, as you know, the, the antagonist is the, is, the, is, the, um, is the backdrop itself, right? Mm -hmm. it's, the, it's, the, um, it's the prison, it's the NCAA, it's a comic coming to get you that makes people go into life or death situations. And in this, 
I wanted it to be about the cycle of violence in the region yeah. so that the people that you normally would never feel empathy for, you feel empathy for and you feel for them. And, you know, I wanted deaths to matter in this, you know, that they aren't they aren't frivolous and they're not easy just to kill people, that you do understand what it is to take people's lives. Well, and feeling the empathy, what really helps fuel this one, and you always do this with your characters, we get a lot of ambiguity, but it really plays out here and it, we come into a lot of issues of loyalty, which I think is really carried forth perfectly by Travis Fimmel's character of Roman. You really aren't sure which side of the fence he's on. And it's... No, and, it's and the interesting thing is a lot of people don't know, there are a lot of people in the military and the intelligence community that, um, that are Muslim, and they're not brown people, you know, that are... The from the Middle East, they are people. They're they're from all over the world, and in fact, the guy that ran the um, the guy that ran the Bin Laden um, um, whole raid was his name was Jihad Joe, and he was um, he's a white American guy from Texas that was Muslim. Oh my God, your whole cast is just amazing. And all Ali told me, Ali was did was on my show live a few months ago, and he and he we brought up Kandahar. And he goes, yeah, I'm chasing Gerard Butler through the desert. And I said, can you tell me anything else? The film's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> he would not divulge anything. Uh, <laughs> no, but it, that was my favorite part of this is that, you know, Jerry and I have now worked three movies in a row yeah. together. And, you know, he's a very well-known actor. I was, I, I knew of Ali Fazal's work for sure. That's why I wanted him. But to put all of these different people in from around the world and, and, and have them come to play on something like this and bring their own sensibilities to it, like even Naveed Negevon, Naveed was, uh, Naveed was born in Iran, and he was a child refugee during the Iran-Iraq war. Like he knows what it's like to be in these situations. A lot of them did in different, from different parts of the, of the region. And Ali, Ali and I talked a lot about... The, 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 the conflict between India and Pakistan and how half of his family's in Pakistan, but they're not allowed to see each other. And so we, we, it, was, it was great that people, it wasn't just us coming to tell, show you what this region's about. The people that were in this movie, the people that worked on the movie behind the scenes, or all, all, so many of them were from this region that brought their own personal sensibilities to it. Well, and I have to say, the the one rescue sequence that you have, to go from the beauty of the wide screens of the desert and the wider and the wide screens of a lot of the action sequences, the car chases, the the bombings, all of that, for that one rescue sequence, the way that you that you and McGregor bring the camera in, you really hone in. We get some close-ups. You don't do a lot of close-ups in this film. You really want to keep us in the world that we're in. Yeah. And I love that so that we don't lose that connective tissue. But in that rescue sequence, you do give us some close-ups, not ECUs, but we've got close-ups. But then we see really vibrant color of the blood-stained walls, but also the intimacy. We feel the intimacy the friendship that has developed between these men and the care and concern. And that really just, it explodes emotionally on screen. Absolutely fantastic. 
I appreciate that. It was really important to me. I mean, look, intimacy is a part of my movies for sure and, and having immediacy to the characters, but I wanted people to understand this ain't New Mexico. Yep. We shot this for real in the in, 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 in the real region, you know, and I wanted you to understand that and feel what it's like to be there. I love the bullet holes in the walls, too. Very, yeah. very, very immersive. I, and I am so tickled you brought David Buckley back to do your score because this score... Yeah, the guy. This is unlike any score that he's done for you or that he has done overall. There's an energy here, but also... He brings in the ethnic beauty of the music of the region. And then that corral, when corral gets added and you feel a sense of longing and lamentation for just the whole idea of the centuries of warring in the region. It is really an exquisite score. Yeah, we wanted, we, we, we definitely wanted it to feel indicative of the region, but we didn't want it to be the cliche. You know, we wanted it to be its own unique thing and, and also the contemporary way that the Middle East is right now. How difficult was it for you and Colby doing the editing on this one? It was, it was tough because, the, you know, the, 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 the narrative scenes were much easier to get going on right away, but like the helicopter stuff, we were relying so much on... Um, getting the visual effects done with the thermal look and the th different things that we, you know, our finished stuff. So it was very hard to kind of judge that stuff until we had everything kind of in. So there was a lot of tweaks going on as things were coming in. And we live in a world now where these visual effects companies, they're doing phenomenal work, but they're so backlogged um, with stuff that you're just fighting to get your shots and then to fine tune. And, you know, the sound design was a major, major factor for me in this movie. We brought in Dror Morhar, who's done a lot of stuff with Colby from Patriot's Day to Deepwater to Lone Survivor and the last Tarantino picture. And he just brought an extraordinary kind of reality to, um, to the world that we inhabit. Yeah, I was going to say the sound is just impeccable, as are what uh, Dion does with the stunt choreography, the stunt work, and then your fight choreographer, George Imanchev. An amazing job with some of those man-on-man -man fights. It's all real, you know. Like these, uh, those are a lot of my guys from Bulgaria that I love, and um, they came in and just did a fantastic job. Rick, never in a million years would you ever have a film with fight scenes and not have them be real. I know that. Yeah, I would sure. stake my life on that. Well, I know <laughs> they're texting me, telling me we have to wrap this up. I'm very, I'm very perturbed by that. But, oh, my God, I'm so happy that we got to talk about this one. I'm even more thrilled you're now going to do a cliffhanger reboot or sequel. That's going to be fun. We'll be talking about that one very soon. Um, Spallone and I are very excited about it. He's, he's coming in to pass the torch. We're bringing in new characters. It's an evolution of the original movie, very much like Top Gun Maverick or how he built Creed off of the Rocky franchise. It's going to be exciting. I'm really, there's a lot to come on that. And the fact that Scott just finished directing Sly in Expendables 4 had nothing to do with you now directing Sly. Very, I, honestly, very, it was a complete coincidence. <laughs> I think Sly it's hilarious. You know, and um, Neil and I have been wanting to work together for quite a while, and so this all just kind of came together. It was really, really fun. I can't wait for it. Rick, I love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Give Tanya my best, and... Uh, I will. I, I can't Baby wait till I, I can't wait till I see you in person again. We will. We will. We'll be both back to those days. All right.
Thanks, Rick. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Rick Roman Waugh talking about Kandahar in theaters this Friday. It is spectacular. Visually, from a story, uh, story viewpoint, um, just a wonderful film. And you can never go wrong with Gerard Butler, let's face it. And then Thursday, FUBAR on Netflix, Arnold Schwarzenegger, new series, eight episodes, fantastic. And Simon Phillips helps kick it all off and helps set the tone with Arnold for what's to come in all of the episodes. So Simon Phillips in FUBAR on Thursday on Netflix, Gerard Butler in Kandahar on Friday. It is an action-packed weekend for you people. Action-packed for the Memorial Day weekend. So, of course, that's all the time we have. We ran over, of course, I warned you. Um, That is all the time we have today. We will not be doing a show of any kind next week because it is Memorial Day and Pam gets her day off. Uh, But we will be back live in studio on, what day are we coming back? June something. June 5th. And we are going to have Patricia Chica talking about Montreal Girls fresh off of its run at Cannes. So looking forward to that. So until June 5th, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 